Welcome back again to the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Kent Wyrock, your host for the evening. Joined again, once again, by my wonderful panel of analysts. We are here talking today about some rookies, and we are going to be starting off with the running backs because they are pretty notorious for being kind of like a diamond in the rough type of fantasy asset when it comes to picking them up off the waiver wire or even drafting them possibly. We'll go over all that stuff and how you need to focus on your running backs in uh, a fantasy football redraft league because it's a little bit different than dynasty or keeper leagues. So it kind of needs a little bit different of an angle, and we're going to hope to hone in on that and get you guys up to speed. But first, let's just go around the room, talk a little bit about what we were doing. Uh, it was Memorial Day weekend. What did you guys do? You do anything cool? I took a four-day weekend, so I've been chilling. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I've been moving, so... I'm a little exhausted Ooh. here, but excited to talk RBs. But yeah, I might be a little bit out of it, so you gotta give me some reprieve if I sound like I'm just kind of a little bit out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, Jen. Uh, my girlfriend and I just purchased our first home, or are about to purchase our first home, I should say. Uh, we closed Wednesday, and so this weekend was packing, packing, and more packing. That. That sounds exhausting, the both of you. I mean, I, I was at the cabin this weekend, so it was pretty nice, but it was the first weekend of the year that we were there, so it involved a lot of, like, storage opening and digging of dirt. There was, like, a whole path we had to fill in with dirt, and it, it was really hot. It was, like, 95 degrees here what last couple the? days, and so, yeah, I know, Minnesota, hot, unbelievable. Um, It was pretty miserable, but we had a good time, though. But yeah, so, uh, you know, it was a pretty easy going weekend and we just got back here. We thought Memorial Day weekend, you know, we got a little bit of extra time. We got to fill in that time with some fantasy football stuff. It's the end of May. It's time for fantasy football and we got to get started right now. You got to get ahead of the curve, beat all your draft mates and let them know what's up and that you're the king of fantasy. So that's why we're here. That's why you're here listening to the fantasy football podcast in May. So Let's get it going. Let's talk about a little bit of the news that's come up recently. Um, there's not a lot of major stuff, but OTAs did begin to pick back up. Uh, a lot of teams are back on the field, uh, you know, throwing the ball. Nothing high contact yet, but, you know, it's good to see them get out and move around. There's not a lot of huge notable things going on with OTAs. You know, some of the older veterans tend to skip them, and it's not really that big of a deal. Uh, and, you know, a bunch of the rookies show up and let the team sh show what they got and uh, what they're going to contribute to the team for the year. So uh, it's fun to watch. I think the biggest piece of news here is probably Le'Veon Bell. Now, this kind of stuff kind of popped up last year, too, when he was on the franchise tag and he wasn't really happy about it. Um, he's not showing up to OTAs. He technically, without the fran uh, franchise tag signed, he doesn't have to show up until September 1st, from what I understand. Uh, which is the same thing he did last year. So uh, it's still interesting. You know, he might sit out preseason. What do you guys think that this continues into the regular season or is he just kind of playing around with us? For me, I think he'll do exactly what he did last season and come in um, and not really participate in any of the things going up to the season, not in preseason, and then start week one. And he had a slow start last year. So I think that's what everybody is sort of looking at, not just that what kind of start will he have to the, to the season, but also what reps will that give, you know, the new, the new rookie that's been drafted and then Connor behind him as well. So they're going to get all the reps that he would get on the first team and really be able to, to kind of get their, their momentum going while as he'll come in and just need to start week one. So I think that's what fantasy owners are sort of looking at comparatively. Yeah. And, uh, and him coming in there with, you know, getting that slow start last year, uh, we definitely saw that, I think the same thing will happen again this year if he does decide to hold out and kind of push back that date until that September 1st uh, deadline. There's another thing to think about, too, and it's just the fact that, you know, these guys for the entire month of August and even late, late July, um, you know, are getting in football shape, which 
is so different than just going to the gym, lifting weights or going for a run or something like that. Um, so the, the demands that, you know, it puts on a running back's body, uh, is so different. And so it's so specific, um, you know, and, and I think that's why we saw that slow start, not to mention the chemistry and that kind of thing. Uh, but just to highlight, you know, he's playing on the, the franchise tag as of now. And if that is the case, I think the Steelers are just going to run him into the ground. Um, so combine that with, you know, a lack of, you know, training, football specific training with his teammates and, and that kind of thing through August. Um, you know, there is a potential for a mismatch there between the demands of the sport and what his body can hold up to. So we'll see, you know, we'll see how he does. And my concern would be a potential injury in those first first few weeks. Which we, I feel like we see him get a little dinged up pretty commonly too. So it's not, I mean, it's not something where you're going to get too worried on any of this about Le'Veon Bell. He's one of the best in the game. But I suppose it is something where if you're looking at those top four guys or specifically who to take number one overall, it might be a little bit of a sway in one direction towards. Gravity. So I have a quick a quick question for you guys. I, I want a real quick vote. Let's say Bell doesn't start the regular season. Which running back do you take in his place? So I've got uh, I've got a uh, Le'Veon Bell number one just because of that volume is going to be absurd. I mean he already gets so much, uh, but if he's playing on the tag, they're just gonna you know like I said run him into the ground. So I've got Gurley at number two. So I would take Gurley. Uh, as my next running back. Sorry, I wasn't really clear about that. I'm talking about on the Steelers roster. Oh. So if Bell, if Bell doesn't start the regular season, they need to go to option B on the Steelers. Who's going to be the guy that fills in for the majority of the touches and, and has maybe some fantasy value in the Steelers' backfield? I imagine Jen might have a little bit more expertise in the Steelers in particular since they're her team, but I did see something to the effect of Connor was looking good in OTAs. This is James Connor, who I think they drafted last year, right? Yes. Um, and he actually showed pretty well last year initially, and then he had some issues. Uh, and then Jalen Samuels is kind of a weapon sort of player. So if I had to take a guess at who's going to get the between the tackles, 20 carries a game or so if Bell is out, I would probably lean Connor and then say Samuels is worked in all over the place. So Jalen... Yeah, I would agree with I'm that. I'm sorry, J- Jalen yeah. Samuels is a guy, he's actually a rookie this year. And and while he's kind of a running back, he was actually listed by some sites as a tight end. He was a real, like like you said, he was an offensive weapon. They kind of moved him around all over the field. I think he's only uh, he's six foot and 223, and so that's not really a tight end build. Uh, but he was playing kind of like in line, blocking roles, receiving. He had a lot of receptions, but he also got rushing touches, so... Um, it'll be interesting to see what he can be used as in the next level because, you know, college can be a little bit more schemey, a little bit more um, kind of like they throw in some offensive wild cards like Jalen Samuels. And it'll be interesting to see if he defines a role in the NFL and if that role could be a lead back type of asset. I don't, I don't know if he could, but it's, you know, it's interesting to watch and see what he develops into. It gives a little excitement, I think, to the summer and you know in Pittsburgh and to see how things kind of play out there if if things go down with Bell and for whatever reason he is held out into the regular season I agree um that I think Connor would be the one that would get the opportunity but it really I mean you all know just as much as I do that you know training camp OTAs a lot of things can happen and I think he's going to you know he's at least as in Samuels is going to at least put some pressure on Connor and they're going to be in that backfield getting those first team reps. So I'm I'm excited to see really how things go and to hear some things out of out of Pittsburgh about how the running backs are doing. But hopefully Bell will be back and and he'll be there week one. That, I mean that's really what I want to see. But behind him, it, it's really fair game I think to to see who might get a shot at it. But I would lean towards Connor for sure. Yeah, that seems like the right idea. And uh, so as for other OT news. We have some bad news, and I know that this is going to mess with a lot of people's rankings when it comes to tight ends. Hunter Henry, the now starting tight end for the L.A. Chargers. I'm still never going to get used to that. Um, he tore his ACL, and he's out indefinitely. I believe he's, you know, he's going to miss the rest of the season for sure. He should be, you know, next season fine by OTA time. Uh, with that typical timeline for ACL recovery, but this is a bummer, and it'll be interesting to see 
what the Chargers do to fill in that void. Does this make Keenan Allen like even more enticing or does it cause him to be locked down more uh, by defenders honing in on him a bit? So it's kind of like, you know, give or take, what, what are you looking for in this offense and, and how does this injury affect the Chargers going into 2018? I think the biggest impact it has for fantasy that we can kind of make a call on right now uh, just because with the receivers, it'll be difficult to see who takes over between the Williamses, how much one will go to Allen, etc. I think the clearest call to make right now is that it hurts Phillip Rivers. I had Phillip Rivers kind of squeaking right into the end of my QB1 rankings, right around that area. Um, and with Henry gone, who I think would have been his best red zone weapon, I think that's going to hurt his touchdown totals. Um, and I, I have him... I think I took him back at least four or five spots in my ranking. So that uh, and for tight ends in general, by the way, just awful. The, I had Henry as my number four, and even at the end of a tier that I would have considered, like these are the tight ends I really want, and now there's only three of them. It's just terrible. Yeah, I think you hit the hit the nail on the head there. I mean, tight ends this year just went from bad to worse. Uh, if you don't get one of those top three, I'm just gonna punt and just kind of stream the position. Um, you know, based off of how poor that landscape is. So uh, it's tough to see, you know, another good, young, exciting tight end go down uh, with this injury. And not to mention all the ones that I don't know if you're like me, but I've done a ton of best ball drafts and he was one of my targets. I'm, I'm never somebody that goes tight end early, but if he was hanging on there towards the, you know, mid to later rounds, I was snagging him when I could because I really thought this was the year that he would take off. So I think there's a lot of best ball owners right now that are kind of shaking their heads. You know the risk when you draft this early. But, yeah, that was a big disappointment for me. Yeah, it's it's a pretty big bummer. But, uh, you know, I, I agree with bets. I think punt tight end this year. It's pretty easy to just fill in those skill position roles like wide receiver and running back rather than worry about getting another guy who's not even going to contribute to your team as much as a free agent guy could. So, yeah, good call there. But – on that note, let's uh, go ahead and move past the news. There's not really that much going on other than, you know, a little bit of OTA murmur. You know, that stuff is always just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and see what sticks. So we'll kind of move past that for now and wait for some more significant news to come out before we focus on it too much. But let's go ahead and start breaking down these rookie running backs. And now what we did was we took top 10, excuse me, the top 10 running backs by their ADP currently. And and I, I took this from Dynasty websites just because they're a little bit more in tune with the situation. The redraft leagues tend to catch up, you know, in late July and August as the people start doing mock drafts and stuff like that. So we're kind of trying to get ahead of the curve here, uh, knowing what these guys are going to do for their, their teams that they've been signed to now. So we're going to start at the top, number one, numero uno. You know this guy. Saquon Barkley, and we talked about him last time. He's basically an NFL veteran. That's how people are treating him. And I don't know how at this point he doesn't have, you know, top 14 status in a redraft league. I don't know how he, he might make it to that beginning of two, especially if you're in a league with, you know, players who don't really respect the rookie running back type of situation and they're not in tune with the draft. I could see him maybe slipping a little bit, but – most leagues, he's going to be up there. It's going to take a hefty price to get him. So in the aspect of looking at this in a redraft viewpoint, are you willing to mortgage your team and your first round draft pick probably on taking a rookie? It's a pretty big investment. So what do you guys think? Yes. I've uh, I've done a few best balls, which is not quite the same as redraft. You're not, you don't have to be quite as committed to the player, but... Just as to get a feel for ADPs, I've seen him go right around sixth or seventh in almost every single one, um, and I probably I took him in one of those at six actually, so I I definitely would do that. But even in redraft uh, in your home leagues or uh, wherever you play redraft, I would probably take him easily top ten, and I think I would take him top eight. Um, just the amount of workload he's going to get is second to maybe a few guys in the league Elliot Fournette uh Gurley probably so maybe Bell um he's going to get a ton of carries the I think the biggest concern coming in 
um, when when the rumors were going around that the Giants would draft him, which was pretty common uh, a thought process going into the draft. One of the big issues was their O-line, which was awful last year. Well, they added Nate Solder, uh, best tackle in free agency uh, on the left side, and they also drafted Will Hernandez in the second round, who's a guard that was considered a first-round talent, uh, and they were able to snag him. So I don't have any issues with the O-line. I think the offense is actually going to be chugging with the amount of weapons they have, and I think Barkley's going to feast off of that. So I'll easily take him first round. I think really what I'm looking at with this is I, I do have a normal amount, I think, with, like, rookie reserve. Like, oh, do I really want to invest a first-round pick, especially a high first-round pick on a rookie? But if you're looking now, and, and hopefully if you're listening to this, you've, you've looked at the top running backs, and we all know it's really difficult, I think, when you get around 8, 9, 10, right around there, is you're looking at who are the guys that are going to get the opportunity and who are the bell cows. And there just aren't that many to go around these days. You start getting outside of the really top, the top running backs and everybody starts to have a little bit of a question mark about how much usage they're going to get. Are they going to be just first and second round back? And then somebody else is going to get the third round and all the receptions. And Saquon is, is somebody that we know is going to come in and he's going to be their bell cow and, and get it, going to get as many opportunities on the ground and through the air as m- many running backs are going to like, not going to necessarily get and so you can't really downplay that i think right now in fantasy and so owners as in redraft they're going to be in that first round and i I don't know how you can ignore the workload that he's going to get and that's what you have to look at is opportunity and volume in fantasy and he's going to get it so it's really hard it's going to be really hard not to take him if he's still there there in that mid to to late first round pick yeah, definitely. And, you know, we've seen success in the last two years uh, with rookie running backs. And so I think that maybe if Barkley was coming out, you know, four or five years ago, people would probably be a little more hesitant to go and snag him in round one. But, you know, we've seen all these rookies come in and just kind of take the NFL by storm, you know, from day one. And so um, I don't think people necessarily fear, you know, rookies anymore, especially at the running back position. You know, we see that that position translates pretty easily and pretty well. Um so for reference, I've got him at number five overall. So I'm, I'm definitely snagging him in round one. I'm going to go ahead and play a little devil's advocate here because everyone loves Saquon Barkley. I put it in the show notes. We have kind of like who wanted to be a for or an against arguer for each person. And I put for Saquon, everyone is for him and everyone who's against him is a moron. And now that's, you know, I'm making a joke here. I'm making light of it. But um, I think at price, I won't, I won't get any Barkley this year. I think I'm not going to touch him in the first round. He's... You know, he's a rookie running back, as as sensational as he is and may be in the NFL. He's still a rookie. A rookie wall is a very real thing that happens to running backs that come into this league. They'll get through 14 games as they, you know, they played in college or, or whatever the number is. And they once they get past that point, they start running out of steam. And, you know, that's the important time of the year for fantasy playoffs. You know, you want to have a guy who weeks 15 through 17 is able to put up numbers. I don't know if, you know, Barkley is still going to be chugging along at that point. Also, it should be noted that the person who is sitting behind him has 51 career touchdowns, and that's Jonathan Stewart. This is a guy who could easily come in to relieve him to save Barkley so he can make it through the entire season and be a touchdown vulture. I would not be shocked in the slightest if Barkley did not get a lot of red zone opportunities starting off this year. Uh, or he could fade out by the end of the year. So at cost, I think I'm out, but I'm excited to watch him play. So I want to just leave that on the table. I think he's a great athlete. I think he's going to be a great football player. I just don't think I'll get him in any of my fantasy leagues. And on that note, we'll lead into the second running back. And this is a guy who fell a little bit further than I think people were expecting him to. And there are a few guys go ahead of him that people weren't really you know, imagining being first round running backs, this guy now the potential starter, I guess I would say for the Washington Redskins is Darius Geis. And he lands in a situation where he has opportunity. I mean, the guys who are there right now struggled. Their offensive line last year in particular was extremely injured. Uh, They had one of the most injured O-line seasons of all time. If I remember seeing that on Twitter somewhere last year, I'd have to go sift it up. But 
Uh, they had some issues in Washington, and now you know they've they've switched quarterbacks. They have pretty much the same receiving core. Terrell Pryor didn't really count anyway last year, so there's not really much change other than this new running back in town. So, Jen, I know you're kind of a fan of Darius Geis. What do you think? What what makes you think he's going to get opportunity and can produce here in Washington? I think it goes in line with pretty much what I just said in the way of that you have to look at the running back situation, where they're going, which right now he's going in PPR in early fifth round. And the guys that he's going around are, are guys like Lamar Miller, Mark Ingram, people with some question marks just about their involvement, about who else is going to be in, you know, going to get touches. Ingram obviously is going to miss four games. Who knows um, what's going to happen to go down in Houston. And so somebody is going to come in. Gruden said as much as he's going to get first and, and second touches. Like he's going to get the early downs. But then you have to factor in Chris Thompson and that he's going to get his top his, his touches in that backfield. But really, I, I'm really not that worried about Thompson in the way of he's that's sort of his role that's his niche and that's not really why they picked up guys they picked up guys for the early down work so for me a guy that's going to come down come in straight off the bat going to be the starter there I feel like early fifth round is kind of a value right now for somebody that's going to get that much opportunity so I would take a swing at him right there no problem like if it came down to that no way I'm taking Lamar Miller over him when I know he's got a guaranteed role so for me I feel like, yes, there's some reservations about what's going to happen. He's a rookie. Who knows? Anything could. But I'd say I'd take him over somebody that's got a yard per percentage. What what did Lamar get last year as far as yards per carry, right? Under four? I, yeah, I think 3.9, if oh, my memory right. serves right. He, he's he's going downward. And so I think if you're taking him, if you, and if you're looking right around there, his ADP as far as what I'm looking at, so you got – Miller, him, Ingram, Dion Lewis, who I think lots of upside, but injury concerns. Penny, who is also a fellow rookie. We don't know where he's going to go. Carlos Hyde, a J.D. Collins. So there's all guys that you're not really sure what's going to happen. So I'd rather take a swing at him right there. So Geis is probably one of the guys I'm lowest on. So I'll kind of pitch the negative side, I guess. Um I, do, I didn't have any issue with the, the fall in the draft. I think people, I think a lot of the reason that he's not the locked number two uh, rookie running back in a lot of people's rankings is because of that fall. And there was a lot of questions about character and interviews with teams, but most of the teams that were mentioned in those uh, rumors said that there was really no issue. He said there was no issue. Um, I think he's just kind of, kind of uh, I think he's just kind of a quirky guy sort of a Marshawn Lynch, maybe, type personality in that way. Uh, But what Jen mentioned about Chris Thompson is pretty much what it comes down to for me. Uh, Gruden came out first thing and said he is not going to be a third down back. He's going to be first and second. Chris Thompson is going to handle all our third down work. And for me, in fantasy these days, that means a lot, Um, especially in in any sort of half or full PPR format. I, he's going to have very few receptions, and he's going to be coming off the field. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Redskins team in general. Uh, their O-line was not great, but like you said, it was a lot of injury-related stuff last year. But their defense is also not good. Uh, they went from Cousins to Alex Smith, which, if you look at last year, seems okay. But I'm not an Alex Smith believer, to be honest. So I I think they may be the worst team in that division. And I think that that hurts a first and second down only back. So I honestly, and maybe you guys, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this. I see him as pretty much CJ Anderson in Carolina, which is nowhere near where he's being drafted right now. What What is, for, for someone who likes guys more, what is the reason that that's not accurate? Hit me. Well, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, I'm definitely not super high on guys. So I guess if I had to pick one side versus the other, I'm, I'm kind of low on him. Um, mostly for the reasons that you mentioned Okada, but uh, I'll definitely take guys over CJ Anderson in, in that situation. Um, I can see where you say like, okay, like they're both first and second down backs. They have a pass catching back uh, already, you know, in house in Christian McCaffrey and Chris Thompson, but um, McCaffrey 
I think last year just kind of showed us the floor of what he can be. And, you know, there was talks, you know, all through the off season about how they're going to try to get him more work. And, um, you know, we've all gotten excited about that. I think it was kind of foolish for us to think that he was going to be a true bell cow, but uh, I definitely see more opportunity for, uh, for McCaffrey this season compared to last season. Um, you know, and, and for that reason, I would definitely take Geis instead of uh, CJ Anderson this year. I think the biggest reason that, I can't commit to Geis as a draft pick unless I get him super late. Like talking like probably 10th or later. Um the only reason I wouldn't take him before then is because I don't I don't think there's any reason he keeps that job. I mean, if the, if he comes out and he's not the best back on the field, they have so much Pirine there and he, you know, he's a second year running back. He has a chance to take what he learned in year 1 and expand on that. And we've seen guys who've done it before. And it's probably going to happen again. I don't think they are 100% all in on Darius Geis, especially considering he fell uh, way further than people thought. So the commitment level, as far as you know, all 32 teams in the NFL go, is a little bit less than people were expecting. So I don't think I'll, I'll take him until a little bit later. I definitely take a dice roll on him. You know, he's worth a shot sitting on the bench for a few weeks if he if he ends up getting 20 carries a game then yeah, I'll start, you know, throw him in the flex or something like that. But there's no confidence day one uh, and it would need to build. He'd need to earn it. He'd need to earn that roster spot and that starting spot for me. So um, it's it, it'll be a fun backfield to watch, I think, because they still got some talent there and some guys who can contribute. So. so you don't think them investing that second round capital means anything as far as the opportunity they're going to, you think P. Ryan or Fat Rob Kelly is going to come in? And going to be the guy they're looking at, really? You really think they're not going to give him the shot? They're going to give him the shot. No, no, no. He gets the shot out the gate. I have no issues with that. It's just a matter of the best one performing on the field should get the carries. Uh, and second round is is a reasonably high draft pick for a running back. Um, I stand in the category where the running back who is contributing, regardless of what round they're drafting in, should be the one getting the carries. And now whether or not you know an NFL coach is going to subscribe that thought, uh, maybe not. And that's understandable. I get that. So maybe I should give a little bit more credence to the second round value on him. I do think that P Ryan went a little bit lower than I, I personally liked him to go maybe like third or second round tail end of that second round. He he dropped a bit too. So it, it's something to watch uh, worst case scenario. And that's all I'm really trying to say here. So he gets the shot opening day, but commitment I don't know. I'm not all in on that yet. And we shouldn't sell guys too short. He was a very, very good running yeah. back at LSU. Um, kind of followed in Fournette's footsteps in a, a similar running style, even very violent runner, hard to bring down. Um, and if he's given the load, if he's given the work, he could be very, very good for fantasy. Score a lot of touchdowns, be a 300 carry guy even uh, if the team works out well enough. It's just that kind of uncertainty that has me pausing. Absolutely. And I'm not, I'm not by any means saying I'm a hundred percent in on, on him. I'm just thinking the capital they put in the fact that, you know, they said they were going to give him the work. I think Alex Smith coming in there, they might rely more on the run, but you're right. They might be down. And then therefore that means more work for Thompson and, you know, we'll just kind of see, but I think he's at least got a shot and kind of what I'm looking at right now, right? We're in late May, early June is who has the better path to consistent, predictable involvement right now. And I think he's going to at least get a shot to have that. I think as the summer progresses, we'll see sort of how that backward, that backfield comes out and shakes out. But right now, at least I'm going to give him a shot over people where they're going around the same ADP and I'm not as confident that they're going to get as much consistent involvement. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And like I said, something to watch, 100%. So we'll keep an eye on that. But let's move on to number three here on the list. And this is, you know, the brand new Seahawks running back, which, by the way, in the last couple of years hasn't really meant much. So maybe we could shed some light on why Rashad Penny might be the guy to be the, the newfound running game in Seattle. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump in. I, I'm I'm all about Rashad Penny this year. He's my guy that I'm going after, uh, and I might might take a round or, or two early, depending on kind of what the ADP looks like come August. Um, I talked about him on on our first pod a couple weeks ago. 
Um, just kind of discussing, you know, the Seahawks have been struggling with their own game, and you mentioned it too over the past few seasons. Ever since uh, Marshawn Lynch left town, it just hasn't been the same. They've been a different team. They've been a different offense. They haven't really been able to establish a running game. Um, and so I think, you know, with them drafting uh, Rashad Penny, 27th overall, it just speaks to the fact that they're going to want to use this guy, and they drafted him to be the guy. Uh, Pete Carroll has already come out and mentioned that he's going to be their third, three down, you know, workhorse running back. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely hear the concerns about the offensive line. And I'm with you. I'm, I'm not really excited about the offensive line. But when you look at fantasy, um, it's all about opportunity and talent. And this guy led the nation with 2,248 rushing yards last year and scored 23 touchdowns in two, tw- 2017. Um, and so, you know, he's got the talent, uh, he's got the opportunity, and I have to just, just think, even if the line is subpar again this year, the volume is going to be there enough to make him an RB2 week in and week out. And so, you know, for that reason, I'm definitely all in on Penny. Real quick, are we subscribing to things that Pete Carroll says now? Does all of a sudden his Always. word mean something? Because <laughs> last couple of years it really hasn't. So <laughs> Always, trust it, it's 100% accurate. <laughs> exactly. When it when it fits my narrative, when we want to believe it, Kent. When we want to believe it, yes. Absolutely. The second he comes out and says anything negative about Penny, he's lying. <laughs> That's right. My my big concerns about Penny are two very specific things, and I am not saying that I don't like him. What I am saying is that I have concerns about their offensive line, which they did not address until the fifth round of the draft, and clearly everybody knew Seattle was going into this draft needing like having those needs having a lot of needs if we're going to be honest right and and then they traded up and they got him at the end of you know penny's a great player but i think most people were surprised by that move because of all the needs that seattle had so while i think it's a great thing that he has this opportunity and they're all in on him i'm concerned about that and i'm concerned about his pass protection now could they get around it absolutely just like hunt right not so great at pass protection they just have him, you know, line up as a, as a wide receiver, run some routes and get him involved that way and get around it. Or he could get better at pass protection. But those are my big concerns about Penny this year in Seattle. With, if they can't protect him, they can't protect Russell, then how are we going to, how is he going to be able to, no matter how many carries he get, how is he going to have consistent production? Yeah. And I mean, I definitely, definitely with you, I've seen some tape of him trying to block and in college and it's it's definitely not pretty um but at the same time if that's the case and he's really that bad would seattle leave him in there why don't they just let him out for a swing pass or a check down um and get you you know some ppr points there so uh because russell wilson will already be running for his life at that point is why (laughs) yeah last year that was that was brutal last year to watch i owned russ and i was just every play was just hoping he could get up and not have an injury Oh, that was brutal. Every, it's miracle after miracle with Russell Wilson. And not to get sidetracked too much, but he he is the cornerstone of that offense, and so it all revolves around him being able to make plays. Uh, I do think that you know running up the gut's not going to be the moneymaker for Penny. I do agree that swing outs is going to be the only opportunity, or not the only, but rather the, the prime opportunity for him to make up his shortcomings in fantasy possibilities this year in a redraft league. So again, this is a guy who's probably going to go pretty late. Um, I personally would probably be padding my wide receiver depth a little bit more around this point in time. You're going to have to probably hit him on the waiver wire. I'm sure he's going to get dropped after one or two bad performances, which I no doubt think will happen. Um, this Seattle team, it, they run a lot, but it's not, efficient running and this run blocking is is okay at best I know that they're you know their pass pro is probably worse than the run blocking is but it's something that is going to hinder his his possibilities and you know people I, one one side point people are talking about well what about Chris Carson why where did he go and he never really was that great he kind of just got touches when you know everyone else got injured and he kind of just had by proxy fantasy value. It wasn't anything because of his talent level. It was he just got the ball and that got him fantasy points. And people don't really look past that all the time. So I think Rashad Penny has a leg or 
two up on Chris Carson in terms of the totem pole and getting touches in this backfield. I'm not worried about that at all. Uh, the functionality of the offense specifically is what I think will limit uh, Rashad Penny early in the season. So it'll be something, you know, see if they get a flow. See if they get that Russell flow going. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of the most interesting for me to watch. I'm still a little bit undecided which way I'm going to go, but I think what we'll find out is whether the Seahawks want to be a Russell Wilson-centered team or whether they want to go back to what they were when they were a ground-and-pound Marshawn Lynch team Um, because they've morphed into this team where Russell Wilson runs around like a maniac and carries the offense, but I don't know if that's really the way that they want to be playing the game. So... I think we'll see when they, they invested a first-round pick in a running back if that's the way they're trying to go back to. Uh, and if it is, that certainly could play into Penny's benefit, assuming they can work that offense out. Okay, just just want to feel this out. So, half-point PPR. Would you draft Joe Mixon before Penny? Yes. Oh, yeah. How about, okay, how about Derrick Henry? Hmm. Mm. No. Uh, Edge Henry. Edge Henry for me. I'll take Penny over Henry. Penny over Henry. Okay. How about Kenyon Drake? No. Absolutely not. Penny, 100%. Penny. Same. Okay. So right now, where you guys were just talking, Mixon's at the beginning of the third. Henry's the middle of the third. Kenyon Drake starts to be around the fifth. Now, ADP for Penny right now-ish is fifth round, like mid to late fifth round. So right now, ADP has him going after Mixon. Henry, Drake, Ajayi, Collins, Miller, Geis, Ingram, Lewis. Yeah. That's some good value. I mean, or possible value. Right. If he's going there. we'll see how that holds. Right. If he's going there, I would take a shot at him there versus maybe he's going further up in some leagues and people are reaching for him because they think he's going to get all that opportunity. But factoring in what we just talked about, even at that point, 508, I mean, I'm looking at him even, and I was the one making arguments against him. Yeah, if you guys let me keep talking about him over the course of the summer, I'm going to be uh, conducting the hype train. So he'll he'll be in the third round. It's gonna be it's gonna be late August, and Betts is gonna be taking Penny over Barkley at that point. <laughs> just wait, just wait. You joke. <laughs> All right. No, but seriously, Saquon Barkley is much better. Yeah. <laughs> Let's okay. Yeah, don't take that last part seriously. Barkley's number one. But anyway, let's go on to number four here. we got to keep moving along this list, talk about some of these other guys. And this is one I know we talked about a little bit on the last show. There's there's some contention here, and we're going to get into that. Uh, but Sony Michelle is the new running back for the New England Patriots. And we have a Patriots fan here on the show, and he can tell us all about how he loves him and how he's a huge homer and has no real reasons that make any sense. But oh. we want to hear about it. Yeah, yeah, I got to drop a little bit of hate right on the on the beginning there, but yeah, Okada. I'm a Steelers fan. Can I also get a little hate? Yeah, yeah, join the hate. I love the hate. hate. Let's go. Let's get some hate up there. But Okada, <laughs> tell me why you like him. Tell me why Sony Sony Michelle is going to be your guy. Okay, so first of all, Sony Michelle for me was the number two guy coming into the draft, regardless of landing spot, over Geis, which wasn't that common. Uh, but for me, I think he's a more well rounded well rounded back. Uh, He's extremely elusive. He's explosive. Uh, He can catch balls. He played for Georgia, which has been churning out running back talent, including another top two round running back in this draft. They had two, which is insane. Um, But also specifically landing with the Patriots. So obviously this is a massive double-edged sword. On the one hand, this is one of the best offenses in the league. It has been and it will be which means if you're the lead back on it, whatever that means, and I'm sure we'll get into that, it it means fantasy points. Uh, but more than that, I think Michelle is the best running back that they've had, mm, certainly in years, possibly in the Brady dynasty. Um, he's the only first-round talent they've, they've taken besides uh, Lawrence Maroney, who was kind of a bust. Uh, and then when it comes to opportunity, so... People talk about, of course, uh, Lewis and his performance last year, and there's a, a good amount of, well, Burkhead was injured for a lot of that, so if Burkhead's healthy this year, Michelle can't be quite what Lewis was. But what they don't mention is that 
Gillisley had the first crack at that job for five games. Lewis literally averaged 3.8 carries per game for those first five games, and he still finished as the RB14 last year. So I see Michelle as actually in a lot of ways similar to Lewis in the way he runs, but bigger, better, uh, higher draft capital talent uh, coming into that same sort of role. And I have him as easily my RB2 among rookies and would be willing to take him possibly as early as round three. Now, now hit me with whatever hor- horrific Patriot hate you're going to bring. Well, I have a question. Hold on, I'm catching my breath from the round. Do you have any? Do you have any leagues with openings by chance? I'd love to. I'd love to jump in. Those. <laughs> yeah, I want to jump in when you're taking Michelle in the third round. I can get some really uh, good maybe, guys maybe right from underneath you. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like I'm the proponent for Rex Burkhead, and we knew this. I like Rex, sexy Rex. He's great. He's got a lot of touchdowns. It's taken forever for him to get the respect he's deserved. Um, he was great for Cincinnati uh, the last year that he actually got some touches. And when he started getting touches, he started performing. He was great in New England the one year he was there. And they took that and they turned and gave him a deal. Sonny Michelle has a first-round draft grade. Now, we've already talked about the investment and whether or not that determines you know how much work they get. I have no doubts in my mind that Sonny Michelle will get work in New England. He's going to get the ball. He's going to get touches. He's going to get receptions. He's a good running back. I like what I saw in his college tape. But I have no reason to believe that he will get the lion's share of touches in this backfield. And I don't I don't think that, you know, Deion Lewis was really operating on a, like a lion's share. But he certainly was getting a, a big share, and you know Rex got hurt at the end of the season, and that helped inflate some of his fantasy production at the end of the year. You know they they phased out Gillisley entirely. It's it's something where I think that Burkhead might end up with more touches. I said this last episode. I I see no reason why they need to rush Sony into this. It's you know they got the first year or excuse me they have the first round draft pick on him so that means they get the fifth year option on him so they have five years to explore this player and find out what he has for the NFL level and I don't think that means giving him 200 plus touches year one I don't think he gets 200 touches um and and that's a pretty fair amount so if he's even close it's going to be something good but uh I don't think he even really sniffs it so I have trouble committing to him and I think I, t- you know, let's put it this way. I'll just lay this out for you because you guys know my answer. And I probably already know Okada's answer. But if you're taking Burkhead or Sony, who are you taking? Let's hear from Jen and Betts. For me, I'm going to cop out. I mean, honestly, I like both players. I do. Um, and I like Michelle a lot coming out of college. But we know how the Patriots use their running backs. And so, to be honest, I'm just going to take whichever one's later. Um, that's definitely a cop-out answer, but that's the approach I'm taking. So, Jen, what do you think? I mean, that's that's good strategy, though. I mean, that's, seriously, that's that's a good way to approach the situation. And right now, that would be Burkhead. Right now, ADP's got him going, like, late 6, early 7, and has Sony going early 6, so late 5. All right, give me give me Rex. I, I just don't under... Oh, go, go ahead, Jen, go ahead. That's where I'm leaning. I, the... I, I have to be honest, the biggest thing is just the draft capital spent and it being New England, but also that is such a crowded backfield. I mean, you still have James White there that's probably going to vulture some. And I don't know, for me, I, 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 I'm I going to go Rex. I'm probably not going to go either one, if I'm honest with you. But I would go Rex just because of the value. Because Sony's just, he's, he's, uh, he's kind of climbing. And I have a feeling that by August, he's going to be a little bit too rich for me as a rookie. I mean, my thing is, I I actually totally agree with Kent about Rex Burkhead in his talent and ability as a football player. He's extremely good at what he does, which is a lot of things. I just don't understand why we should be considering him even close when he couldn't pass up Deion Lewis. And Deion Lewis was a journeyman I don't even know when he was drafted if at all and we're looking at Sony Michelle coming out of the first from Georgia it it 
I don't know. To me, it's not close. But uh, Deion Lewis is a legitimately good running back. He was a he was he was a he, fifth he round is. running back, but he only played for Philly and New England. I mean, it's not like he's some guy who's played on five teams in six years or something crazy like that. He's you know he's had some contracts. It took him a while to get to a role that actually meant anything in Philly. He wasn't really used at all. So um, when he got to New England, he he was producing immediately once he got significant amount of work. So it, it's almost like actually, let me throw this out there for a bit. The New England Patriots make any running back productive once they start giving him touches. I'm going to throw that out there. I mean, whoever just gets the most touches in that backfield is going to be worth something in fantasy. And we already knew that, but that's the Bill Belichick. Right, there's a reason why we're talking about it. There's a reason why we're talking about these two backs. It's because they're on New England. Uh, but, I mean, I'm just here trying to go to ADP and, like, see where if I was going to take one of them, where I would take them. And right now, Sonny Michelle is going around Tevin Coleman – going around Tariq Cohen, Rojo, Chris Thompson, and then Burkhead's a little bit lower with Lynch and Mack and Tymo, all these guys that we're not quite sure how it's going to sort of fall out. So for me, it might just be, if I'm looking at Sony, like if I'm if I'm looking at the decision for, Te- like with Coleman, for example, I'm going to take Tevin Coleman in Atlanta. See, I'm going to take him over Sony at that point, like at that stage. It's early six round and redraft. See, that... For me, that's exactly what I don't get is he I feel like he has a better chance at more touches than every guy you just named. And he's on a better offense than every guy you just named. So how do you not take him above all those guys? That's my thought. Tevin Coleman has ended in PPR top 20, top 22 the past at least two years. So for me, it's about I know what he's going to do. I know the touch he's going to get. If anything, I think he has more upside because last year he kind of built momentum versus Freeman who, you know, he was just, he was getting more carries and getting more touches. So Sonny Michelle's coming into this New England team where there's Rex there, there's White there, so there's more uncertainty. And that's where that comes for me. It's just, like, when I'm right there, I'm going to go for the back that I know is going to get consistent touches. And I think Coleman's actually a little bit undervalued as far as his production and half to, to PPR leagues in the past few years. I think people are kind of letting him fly under the radar. So him going right before him. But if you're looking at Carlos Hyde for me or like Cohen or Rojo or Chris Thompson, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take a shot at Sony there. Yeah. I'll take, I'll take Sony over those guys that I just mentioned. Probably just not Tevin Coleman for me. All right. Well, let's, let's go ahead and talk. You know, I feel like we could talk about the Patriots backfield for probably hours on hours and multiple podcast episodes so let's let's not do that instead uh we'll move on to another backfield where there's probably going to be some competition this year and people were excited for this guy um but he has someone else who's there who was paid a good amount of money so this is Nick Chubb he was drafted by the Cleveland Browns and of course the guy who was just recently signed as a free agent is Carlos Hyde and Carlos Hyde was very very productive for the uh, San Francisco 49ers last year. So we're looking at uh, a backfield battle here. I don't think, I mean, Duke Johnson's going to be like a slot receiver. I don't really see him taking any rushing attempts that are meaningful. Um, He'll take some receiving, obviously, and that's going to be a hindrance if you're in PPR leagues. But I'm not a big fan of Chubb this year in redraft. I I don't think I'm going to I don't think I'm going to take him at all. I don't think I'll take him through 15 rounds of redraft. And I'm I'm genuinely serious about that. So, I think that because they have Carlos Hyde on a one-year deal by the way, or at least it's a one-year team-friendly cutoff kind of deal, it's a situation where the Browns can move on from him in 2019 and be totally scot-free. So, why would they not run Carlos Hyde into the ground this year? Teach Chubb the ropes. Let him know how fast the pace is in the NFL game. Give him, you know, five carries a game. Something like that. Give him the feel for the speed. Get him out there. Learn the scheme. You know, that Haley's in town and he's their new offensive coordinator. So there's going to be some growing pains in, term of, in terms of their offense. I think a little bit. I'm Probably better than last year. But still, everyone's going to be getting used to the new schemes uh, and how they operate under Hugh with a new offensive coordinator. So, why would they not just give the ball to Hyde like every single time? So wait, Kent, you're saying Browns do the smart thing. I eventually. Why I mean, would like, we doubt that they're gonna do that? Eventually, the Browns are gonna be fine. Uh, if it's this year, 
50-50, we'll see. But I think having an offensive coordinator under Hugh Jackson is going to be way, way better than him doing the dual offensive coordinator head coach gig. I don't think that's something that's very reasonable at this level of football. Is it bad, Jen, that I literally thought the exact same thing that you did when Kent was talking? No, it's not bad, man. <laughs> Great minds you know, think alike. Right, yo, <laughs> hey, I just got some faith, okay? It's just a little faith. That's all it is. I mean, Hugh Jackson is literally the last piece of that team that I no longer believe in. They got one of the best OCs in the league now. They, their weapons are insane. They've got defensive players. And he's just sitting there holding them back from I don't even know how many extra wins that they could get. Clearly, we can't give you too much crap yet. I mean, when we were asked last pod, who's the best, you know, the, the most improved team on paper, we were all in on the Browns. So I'm just giving you a little bit of crap. But yeah, right. I think that's our, our thing is what are they going to do in this backfield? Does that make sense? What you said? Absolutely. Is that what they're going to do? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I, I mean, I hope it's the Browns. I hope that that's what they do. Um, I kind of have heard this out there and I kind of agree. I can see this being a situation similar to Tennessee a few years ago where, um, you know, they brought in DeMarco Murray and then immediately drafted Derrick Henry and everyone was just you know so hyped for Derrick Henry and we just kept waiting and waiting and you know finally he might get a shot but maybe not with Deion Lewis there uh but you know everyone was kind of off DeMarco um you know at the time he was coming off some pretty terrible uh play in in Philly um but still I mean I wouldn't be surprised to see to see Chubb still um you know sit behind uh Carlos Hyde and for us to almost, you know, when I say us, I mean the redraft community, just kind of be uh, be dumbfounded by what's going on there and just waiting for Chubb to get in there and just never never actually get, get a chance. So I do want to clarify real quick. I did look up the contract details on Carlos Hyde just to get a better insight into what they could possibly do. So they actually signed him to a three-year deal. They can cut him after this year and, and have $2.3 in dead cap, which is somewhat considerable. But if they do not, his his cap hit is going to jump from three million up to six million for the next two years. And if he's going to be their number two running back, why would you pay him six million dollars? And I can say this because we have a six million dollar back running back in Minnesota, Latavius Murray, and I'm furious about that. But as far as the money matter goes, uh, there's reason to see that he could be cut next year uh, if he doesn't contribute in this offense, which I think he could, but. Um, I, I don't see Chubb being the guy getting the, the bulk of the carries here. And then that's my, my biggest concern. Carlos Hyde's shown that he's capable. He might get hurt. You know, Carlos Hyde's known to have a little bit of an injury bug. So that could lead to Chubb being like a waiver gold mine kind of a guy. I, I can get behind that idea because he's definitely talented. You know, he got selected in the second round. He's a guy that they like. So if Hyde did get injured, this dude's going to be a home run play. Uh, I'd throw large amounts of fab or a top waiver priority to make sure I get Chubb. Um, so, yeah, it, definitely someone to keep an eye on is, is the worst case scenario. And that's how all these running backs are. You know, we actually, I'll let you jump in real quick because I'm going to go off on a tangent. I do that from time to time. So <laughs> by all means, just cut me off if I'm going too far. Well, I'll, one thing I'll just throw in there, and I know that we've, uh, we're have a redraft podcast, but I would say that Chubb's value is the biggest gap between redraft and dynasty. Um, so if any of you also played dynasty, this is definitely a long-term play for the Browns uh, to draft him here in the second round. Use Hyde, like you guys have said, and, and give him not only some time to learn, but maybe, and maybe Betts can jump in here. I don't know how long it really takes to recover from the kind of injury he had. I know that typically people say when you're coming back from an ACL, um, it's the second year that's like the full 100% year. And his injury was pretty horrific back in 2015. So it's been a few years. But when you have the opportunity to let this guy uh, slowly move into the NFL and then potentially next year, if Hyde is gone, be an absolute monster. He was uh, in the Barkley level conversations back in his freshman year when he was one probably the best back in college in his freshman year. And then he had that horrible injury and he was not quite the same for the next couple of years. So uh, either if you play in dynasty or in the coming years, when you're looking at Chubb, he's definitely the kind of guy who 
has a lot of long-term value, but not a lot right now, like like Ken's been saying. So, would you guys, where would you re, where would you draft Hyde versus Chubb right now in the redraft? Right now, ADP in PPR at least with Chubb, he's going in the ninth or something. There's not a whole lot of draft capital that you have to go on him, but Hyde's going earlier. Like, where would you all draft him at this point? Like, I'm steering clear. I'm going to be honest. I'm steering clear of them because I'm not quite sure how this is all going to play out, if they're going to do the right thing, if they're going to be the sensible thing. And so I'm just not going to have any of them on my roster, which no Steelers fan I don't think should be expected to. But <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm, you all have a, a good argument that if they do the right thing and give Hyde the, the touches and just kind of use Chubb in, he could be a really val- a big value, a.k.a. Hyde could, Carlos Hyde could really sneak under and be an undervalued running back this year because I think a lot of people aren't sure what to do in redraft with this backfield. With Hyde, I'm thinking about taking him in the fourth round, and in the fifth round I'm smashing the, the pick selection button because the value there is just too good to be true, in my opinion anyway. I, I, people are going to disagree with that, but that's all right. And later, you know, talking about filling out longer rosters, if you have a short bench, I might pass on Chubb. You know, I might not get him. Someone else is probably going to end up taking him before a reasonable point where I'm going to have him on my roster. If if we get to, you know, the teens and I have, you know, my situation is set pretty well, I feel like my roster is rounded out already, uh, I'll consider taking him and sitting him on the bench for a couple weeks and see if I strike gold. If I have a real short bench, I'm out. If I have maybe like seven spots or so, then it starts to be something you can you can think about holding him, you know, for three, four weeks. Otherwise, you're going to get into the buy you know, the bye week uh, section of the season. And that's when you start running into issues. And if and if Chubb's not a starter by the bye weeks, then why do you have him on your roster? Because you're going to have to fill in with something else that's going to be actually helpful for scoring fantasy points every week. So that's, that's kind of how I look at the situation. Ingram or Carlos Hyde? Hyde. Ingram for me. Hyde. Ooh, that's break the tie. <laughs> <laughs> I'd I'd probably go hide there. I think um you know, I think obviously four more games is better than not having four games. Um but that, that was the deal breaker for that's, me. Yeah, exactly. Right that's that's the deal breaker. I think that um That's some math. Yeah. You know what, man, college educated. Uh I just think that um, you know, if they're going similar uh ADP, give me four extra games. Hashtag analysis. <laughs> four games is better than zero games i know that's true that's (laughs) more yeah and and before we wrap up here okada you mentioned kind of the injury to nick chubb it's kind of ironic uh the the browns have two kind of injury riddled riddled backs but um you know to start with let's start with carlos hyde he definitely is someone that's dealt with um injuries throughout his time in the nfl Uh, i think it was in 2015 if i'm remembering correctly um he fractured his foot and kind of tried to play through it um, they thought that it could heal with rest and it just never did. And so he had a lost season there and then missed, you know, a couple of games, uh, the following season, but actually came out, uh, during the off season before last season started and was pretty vocal about being frustrated in his inability to play 16 games. And he changed his training routine his his nutrition. Um, and he was pretty passionate about it. And I think it showed in his ability to finally be on the field for 16 games, you know, it's only one season, so we can't really just say, okay, he's now healthy and we don't have to worry about it. But uh, it's changed, and, and hopefully it's changed, you know, for the long term. Um, as far as Nick Chubb, actually it wasn't his ACL. Uh, so he tore every right. ligament instead of his ACL. So he tore his PCL, right. his MCL, uh, his LCL, and he had some cartilage cartilage damage as well. Um, so still a, still a kind of nasty injury. If you've got the stomach yeah, bet, for it, you should bet, YouTube it. I'm no, I'm no doctor. But that doesn't sound good, to be perfectly honest. Tearing everything, it's, even oh, he didn't tear his ACL, but everything else is terrible. It, it just got ripped to shreds. Yeah, I mean, which I'm curious, is that worse or better? I don't know. That's what I'm trying uh, to say. So, than an ACL. So we tend to see lower retear rates of those ligaments compared to the ACL. Now, in the moment, I mean, it's definitely a more strenuous surgery. The rehab is a lot longer. You can't really push it quite as much. Um, when any PCL involvement is there, you have to be much more slow and conservative with the rehab. But again, that's a short-term thing. And so, you know, now we're almost three years out from his injury, which happened in 2015. 
Um, and I, to be honest, don't have really any concerns for this season in regards to his injury. Uh, just looking back on his numbers, you know, he came out um, the last two seasons after the injury at Georgia um, and put up 224 carries in 2016 and then 223 uh, last year and surpassed 1,000 yards each season. And so, um, you know, I think he's proven that he's there and his combine was explosive. He jumped out of the gym and, you know, his 40 was excellent. So those are the kind of things that we look for and say, okay, uh, has time gone by enough, A, and B, has he been able to perform uh, at the level that he was previously? And I think we can confidently say that he he has. And so um, the risk for retear in those ligaments is lower. And so for that reason, uh, I'm not really concerned about Chubb's health, especially in redraft. I mean, in Dynasty, yeah, sure, five years from now, things could pop up. But, um, you know, we're a redraft pod and we're playing for this season. And so for that reason, I'm, I'm not too concerned about Nick Chubb. Yeah. And, you know, let's wrap up. We kind of talked about the top five running backs here. With Let's wrap this up with a little fireside chat about rookie running backs. And we kind of touched on it a couple times here in the pod. These guys aren't locks for anything by any means. I think Barkley might be the only real lock in everyone's book. But these guys are huge question marks. And they, they throw a big, you know, wrench in the cog of an already working machine. Or in the cases of some teams, a machine that doesn't work at all, like uh, the Redskins or the Browns. So we're going to see if these guys can help transform their roster. One thing it should be noted is that you know last year we had guys like Hunt and Kamara, and they exploded. I mean, they were both top ten guys, uh, and you know Kamara absolutely lit it up and was rookie of the year. I think he earned. So you can't. I just want to make sure, like you can't expect this out of any of these guys you got to understand that this is low chance high possible return when you're looking at these rookie guys because you want to get them landing in good situations or even in you know like Hunt's case he kind of lucked lucked out in a sense that Ware got injured obviously that's you know no I never wish injury on anyone but for for the fantasy value of Hunt he exploded and absolutely lit it up last year so that can't be expected, but you are hoping for it. And and that's kind of what we're trying to gauge here is where is the the range in a redraft league where you can say the hope here is greater than the value I'm committing to getting this guy on my roster. And, and that's where we're tra- trying to draw the line. And these top guys are pretty easy to do. These next five guys we're going to do on the next episode because we talk way too long. And that's all right because we got lots of thoughts about these guys. Um, it's going to be something that you want to know, and it's going to be an edge to beat your league mates this year. And I think it's really important to pay attention to rookie running backs, even if you can't expect a Hunt or a Kamara every time. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but. Well, I think it's interesting to point out, just from the examples you gave, both those guys were late round guys last year in redraft. So that means a couple things. One, you're talking about we can't really expect it. We didn't even expect it of them. So, you, I mean, it's a whole interesting situation where it really depends on where these guys fall, what happens in front of them. We thought Kamara had the best running back in NFL history in front of him, and he ended up being a complete bust uh, on that team. Uh, but the other thing is you're going to want to listen to the next pod because the next pod that covers these late, either late-round guys or guys that won't even get drafted is where you can find guys like this, like the Hunts and Kamaras, that if they hit the right situation, which I think there's at least one or two guys that that will, you could get just as much value, if not more, than the guys we talked about in this pod twice as late in the draft. Yeah, there's going to be the guys that you pick up and your your teammates or your draft mates are going to be like, who, who's that? I don't even know who that is. I don't, I don't pay attention to the draft. Why would I do that? They're not even... They've never played in the NFL. Why would they be good? And you're just going to be like, ha, I listen to the red shirts and I know all about this guy. Well, right. We're talking about risk and risk reward and, and, and going in and throwing in on some of some guys with opportunity, talent in a situation where they landed, where you think that they might actually capitalize on it. And I, I, I agree that the ones we talked about today are going to be drafted, I think, probably a little bit higher. And so you're going to have a little bit more invested and probably more to lose. And so I think some of the guys that we're going to talk about that might go a little bit later in drafts and you'll have less on the line might be the ones that you actually get surprised by or at least aren't disappointed by 
because you have less on the line based on the draft capital that you use. But I think Barkley's probably the only sure thing, and we should say that, right? We're talking about situations. Some of them landed in pretty good ones. Some of them landed in less than than good, and we're going to have to just take the summer to try and get the best idea about what might happen. But yeah, every year it happens, right? I wanted to look back at the stats and just see every year how many rookie running backs end up in the top 20, top 25 fantasy running backs, and I didn't have a chance to try and figure it out. But all these guys, you know, spoiler alert, don't end up in the top 20 to 25 fantasy. Only one maybe two of these backs might end up in the top. And so it's, it's, that's what we're trying to do is help you find the ones that are going to I mean, get there. My last five draft picks usually end up getting dropped like that weekend. Like I'll, I'll cycle my roster so much. It's, it's, it's uncanny, but um, conversely to my original point, you know, hunt and Camaro last year being so prolific might cause some of your leagues to have a little bit of rookie fever thinking that because they were rookies is why they did well and they'll they'll take the rookies higher and it'll push down some other talent that hopefully you can snag because of that. So these guys might go ahead of where you're thinking about taking them because guys like Kamara and Hunt lit it up last year. So something to keep an eye on. And on that note, we're going to wrap up this show, episode number two of the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, real quick, I want to drop some details. I know we brought up last time. We did get a couple of reviews come in. So we are looking for more reviews on iTunes or any other platform where you are listening to this podcast. Uh, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. We're obviously a new pod, so we want to hear feedback and and know how we're doing, what we need to fix. You know, don't just leave us rave reviews. I mean, I love it. It, it really in, inflates my ego. But I need to know what, what I need to fix. You know, the rest of the pod, we need to know what our weak points are. So by all means, let us know. And we will be picking one review, or rather, we will be picking some reviews to fill in a listener league, hopefully as we get closer to the season. So let's get lots of reviews on there, and we'll draw a contest to get 8 to 12 you know, people, depending on what size we end up doing in the league. Uh, we'll pull together a listener league, have some fun with it, uh, and you know, we'll kind of break down maybe some of the trades and stuff that happen in that league on the show. That would be really cool. We want to try and involve listeners and, and make them feel like they're actually uh, a part of the podcast. So please go out there, iTunes, Stitcher, Android play. I believe we're on now or Google play. I should say, uh, let us know how we're doing. And we absolutely enjoy you guys here with us. Episode number two, you're here from the beginning, obviously. So you're our number one fans and we want to hear from you. So Thank you uh, to Matt, Matthew, and Jen. You are uh, once again breaking down everything in awesome manner. Uh, let's go ahead and send this one off into the uh, e-world and let everyone know that the Red Shirts are here to talk about some football. Have a good night, everyone. Yeah, here comes the, oh, here comes the, oh, here comes the, y'all don't really want it now.